0: Thanks, guys. That was beautiful. Take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 2 as we wrap up this um, amazing section of Paul's letter to that church in Ephesus and that letter to us here at Westwood. To the church down through the ages. Follow along with me as I read our passage. We've taken two weeks. This will be the third week that we're in this concluding part of the chapter. We'll move on next week to chapter three, and Paul's just going to expand even then, even more so on just how captivated he is by God's grace, and by the way that grace has been poured out and is being poured out um, through this organism, this this thing called the church. Follow along with me in verse eleven. Now remember that the, the chapter started. We'll we'll kind of finish with this, but it starts with us being dead. In our trespasses and sins. And God by his grace makes us alive together with Christ. Um, that's, that's the foundational truth that lays underneath all of, all of what we see. Not just in this chapter but in, in the rest of the book. Verse 11. therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh. Called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So Paul begins by reminding the Gentiles, those who are not Jewish, he reminds them that those who are Jews, both by lineage, by blood relationship to Abraham... And those who through that man-made, he says, this man-made circumcision, he says, so you are seen as different by those who are circumcised, by those who are Israel. And you are different. So there's there's a perceived difference, and there's one that's been established, a, a wall of division, if you will. But Paul says that's legitimate. That I mean there is a difference. Because to the Israelites were given certain covenant promises. To the Israelites to, to the To King David and his descendants were given promises and covenants. And he said, Outside of Israel, you're outside of those. But now, he says in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and commandments. reality that you put before us today of God, how you have purposed and planned from before the foundation of the world to to be with your people and to make your people, Lord, one in Christ. Um, Father, just teach us this morning who we are in Christ together as your church. Teach us how we're to walk in the light of that reality, Lord, how we're to love Father, I thank you for your word today. I pray that your Holy Spirit will be the one who teaches us and applies this word into our hearts, that it can bear the fruit, Lord, that's going to bring you glory. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. We've sung this morning about what we believe and what we profess together as Christians. And for many years of my life, I could have stood in this church and sung that with, with a head knowledge. But not with a heart relationship. I could have said, I believe that, but that was not reflected in any way within my life. I hope that through our study in the book of Ephesians, you pause through the slowness of the Holy Spirit's work and just reflect on your own relationship to Jesus and reflect on your own testimony your own personal story of what you were outside of Christ and how you came to know him as your Lord and Savior and the difference that Jesus has made in your life. That is your personal testimony. And as I was reflecting on that, um, there were years that I professed to be a Christian. I was baptized as a young boy. Many of you know this. I went to church regularly, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night because if you lived in Glenn and Betty Ann's house, that's what you did. You had no choice. And so as long as I was in their house, that's what I did. And so for lit, for years and years, I lived in what I would call a, a state of unbelief, but claiming to be a Christian, but at best being a nominal Christian. All right? And, and the reason I say that is because I believed, I said I thought I believed the right things, but I did not love or live in a way that correlated with that idea of what I believed. All right? What I mean by that is... I did not love the right things. And because my affections were wrong, my life was wrong. Because my affections and your affections are going to be the true north that determines the direction of our lives. So I did not love the right things. Therefore, nothing else in my life was right. Now, it might have looked good on the outside. But on the inside, I was dead in my trespasses and sins. Didn't matter what I looked like on the outside. And so I did not love the church. I mean, I didn't love Jesus. Why would I love the church? I didn't give it any regard. And only because Susan, at at, at first in our marriage, you know, wanted to be there. Felt like our kids needed to be there. So that was the reality. Now, and, and what, I, what I came to recognize is that after I came to faith in Christ, the things that Christ esteems and loves became, over time, more and more important to me. I began to love the things that he loved. Love the things he loves now, right? And hate those things that he hates. That's a process of our sanctification. And I believe, church, that if, if we will prayerfully and carefully and Holy Spirit-led work our way through the book of Ephesians, our love for Christ and His church will grow in ways that will just amaze you, I think. I really believe that. Ephesians will lead us to love the church more. Because it will lead us to to love Jesus more and see how He sees His church. And we see that in, in today's passage. We're going to think about our access to Christ. We're going to think about what Paul lays out for us here in the latter part of this passage. Really starting around verse 16 or 17. Let's, let's look at it together. Follow along with your sermon notes there. You can make notes there. I want us to think first about our access. We've sung about that this morning. And how we have moved from separation and hostility, the text tells us, to unity and peace. Peace. We talked about that two weeks ago as we first introduced this section of Ephesians. We talked about it last week in a very practical way in regard to race relations and just how we get along with people who are different from us. We talked about that last week. So this week, let's think about the fact that we are moving from separation and hostility to unity and peace. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near And those who were near, he says, have been brought in. So it didn't matter whether it was the religion of the Jews or whether it was the non-religion and paganism of the Gentiles, as the Jews would call it. They were both separated from God, some far and some near. They still needed to be brought in, needed to be brought together. And so two weeks ago, I used the phrase blood bought and blood brought. And that's what we have here. We were separated and distant from God, alienated. And yet through Christ, by the blood of the cross, that vertical hostility, that vertical wrath of God that is poured out on sinners has been removed from us and placed on Jesus as we put our faith in him. So in him, that hostility between God and sinful men is removed. But then we also see that. We are brought to each other. We are separated from one another. The Jews were separated from the Gentiles. They hated each other. The Romans didn't like the Jews, and the Greeks didn't like any of them. So, I mean, there were all these tribes, all these divisions, all these barriers. And sometimes these people looked alike physically, but were just divided ethnically, religiously. They were separated in their culture, separated in the economy, whatever it might be. But here's, it, it, here's the truth that says, By the blood of Christ we have been brought near and the dividing wall of hostility has been demolished, broken down. When Jesus died on the cross, the wall died. The wall was torn down. And so the physical picture of this separation and union is the spiritual reality of how separated and hostile people separated from God and hostile to him, separated from each other and hostile to each other. Through Christ are brought together and are given this word access. We are brought near. Brought near. It's a, it's it's such a beautiful picture that apart from Christ there is no salvation, there is no forgiveness. And in spite of what how culturally and politically incorrect it may sound, apart from Christ there's no access to God. That's the gospel. Under the old covenant, it tells us in the book of Leviticus, that apart from the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. It says in Leviticus 17, the life of the creature and of the animal is in the blood, and I've given it to you to make atonement for your sins. But that was just a symbol. It was just a picture. It was a type of what Christ would do. That was under the old covenant. And the writer of Hebrews tells us in 10.4 that it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to remove sin. And yet under the new covenant, under the new promise that we have in Christ, he says by a single offering, he's perfected all time. Those who are being sanctified in Hebrews 10, 14, everything in in the Old Testament picture of Mount Sinai said, stay away. Everything in the tabernacle said, stay away. Only the priest and then only once a year and then very carefully could come into the presence of God. Same thing in the temple. Yet in the new covenant, that curtain is torn, that access is gained, and by the blood of Christ, the hostility is moved and we're brought into the presence of God. By His blood, He has reconciled us to God and to each other in a new humanity. In a new humanity. And we discussed that. We saw that. There'll be people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language in heaven. What a a beautiful just kaleidoscope of color and culture it will be all of it in christ what a beautiful picture of what it's going to be jesus was killed and in his body on the cross hostility was put to death and that's this picture that we have this reconciliation is the word now reconciliation we need to recognize this we've already seen in ephesians what that is by grace you've been saved through faith And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of your own doing, so that no one may boast. All right? That's the picture that we have. Reconciliation is this access. We've been brought together. It is a gift. It is a gift. It is not something that we have earned. It says in Romans 5. For while we were the enemies, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His son. much more. Now that we've been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Much more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom now we have received reconciliation. Reconciliation is a gift that God has given to us in Christ. It is a gift that's received individually, but listen. and this is where this whole passage is going. It is experienced corporately. Reconciliation is a gift that's given to us individually as we place our faith and trust in Jesus. But living out that reconciliation is something that is done together. Together. We see it over and over in this passage. And there is a sense, if you will, that we don't experience the fullness of that reconciliation apart from one another. I'm great as long as I'm by myself. You don't have to put up with me and I don't have to put up with you. It's relatively easy. Right? But put one of us together with one of a, another one of us. And all of a sudden we see we need grace. We need patience. We need Jesus. <laughs> and... And so this this reconciliation is something that's, that's experienced corporately. And it cannot be experienced to the depth that Christ has made it available to us apart from each other. He is our peace. Through Christ, in one spirit, we have access together. Together. That's the picture that we have there. Look at what comes next. Not only do we have moving from separation and hostility to unity and peace, we have... This identity that we have in Christ from, st- from strangers and aliens to citizens and family. I was listening this week to a podcast and then I just my curiosity was piqued so I did a little more reading about it. We are born as humans with an innate God-given desire for identity. Who am I? Who am I beyond Gerald Hodges? Who am I beyond... Some distinction that may be upon me from the outside. Our desire for identity. And even if it's a monk who has decided to live in a remote cave separated from every other living being, that's where he is seeking his identity. We seek identities in our tribes. We seek identities in our political groups. We seek identities in our families. We seek identities in our job or in our education. We seek identity. Unfortunately, in our sexual identity, our culture tells us that that's who we first are. But that's not true. And our identity is found in the God who created us. And so he says, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. First off, think about citizens brought from strangers and alien into citizenship. Now, I know this is a hot topic. I mean, when we start talking about the whole process of immigration, it's hard even to talk about it without it becoming political. But please, God, help us for the next five minutes. Keep it biblical. All right? Forget your political platform for just a second. And think about this through the eyes of Scripture. He tells us that we are strangers and aliens in God's eyes when we're apart from Christ. And even as we think about it in a cultural sense, aliens that are different in a country, I mean, I think about all these countries where i visited as an American. I'm, I'm not a citizen of that country. I'm not related to anybody that's a citizen of that country. I'm very different culturally, sometimes physically, certainly linguistically, behaviorally. I'm different in so many different ways. There are all kinds of distinctions, are there not, between those who are aliens and strangers and those who are actually citizens of that country? That's true. We have a different character in some ways, a different culture. Aliens are here temporarily. Don't go there. All right? Don't go there politically. Aliens are in a country that is different from their homeland. I was reading this week what those who come into our country as citizens are called to give an oath to. You ever read the oath of citizenship in the United States? Listen to it. I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely entirely, absolutely and entirely, renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of whom or which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen. That I will support and defend the Constitution and the laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. That I will bear arms on behalf of the United States when required by law. That I will perform non service in the armed forces of the United States when required by the law. That I will perform work of national importance under civilian direction when required by the law and that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion. So help me God. If you were to move to the UK and decide you wanted to be a citizen there, you would pledge. I swear by almighty God that on becoming a British citizen, I will faithfully and bear true allegiance to her majesty, Queen Elizabeth, II, her heirs and successors, according to the law. I'll give my loyalty to the United Kingdom and respect its rights and freedoms. I will uphold its democratic values. I'll observe its laws faithfully and fulfill my duties and obligations as a British citizen. Aliens and strangers become citizens through the process of recognizing values, identifying with those, and pledging themselves to that. We were once strangers and aliens from a different place. In Christ we are brought near. And we have privileges in that. We have permanence. We have citizenship. We have the right to work and serve. There's all these privileges of citizenship. And the point here is that these privileges and these responsibilities that come to us in a kingdom sense, because Jesus is our king, Jesus is our king, Jesus is our king, church, we need to remember that. That's where our loyalties lie. He is the one we serve. And when we serve Him, we are brought into this relationship in His kingdom. And it's a, it's a relationship that comes even together. One of the documents that um, the Department of State published that I was reading this week had this little paragraph on it. It said, when you decide to become a U.S. citizen... You should be willing to fulfill the responsibilities of citizenship. We hope that you will honor and respect the freedoms and opportunities citizenship gives you. At the same time, we hope, we hope you become an active member of your community. It is by participating in your community that you truly become American. Corporately. Corporately is how you become the kind of citizen you need to be in this country. And lo and behold, here we have, we are brought together as citizens into God's kingdom. And we become not only citizens, but listen, it goes even further. More grace, more grace. We're made family. Picture this large, wealthy estate that's led by a benevolent, good father. And his children are so privileged. His children are well cared for. They're safe. They're they're just... Provided for in every way. And he begins adopting into that family these, these strangers. These people who are different. Giving them equal opportunity as heirs. That's, that's the idea behind the Greek word there. Adoption is such a beautiful picture of the gospel. It is such an amazing living picture of what God does for us in Christ by adopting us into his family. And when did he decide to do that? Paul already told us. From before the foundation of the world, he chose us that we should be adopted. Predestined us for adoption as children, according to his amazing grace. And so adoption is this beautiful picture. And even more so when we see these families who have adopted children from other countries and other cultures. They don't look like mom and dad. But they are loved. They are brought into that family. It's It's a... He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be just that. In John, it tells us, all who receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Romans 8, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back again to fear. You received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness that we are children of God. There will be more on this in the latter parts of the chapters. But we have been moved from strangers and aliens to citizens and family. That's how he's loved us and brought us to Christ. In church, that's how we are called to love and serve today. I'll I'll speak more to that in just a minute. Now, Now think about it we've been brought from separation and hostility to unity and peace, we've been brought from strangers and aliens to citizens and family, and now he goes one step further. And we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Our foundation is from the apostles and prophets to Christ himself. Not in a sense of distinguishing like like it used to be that and now it's this. That's the way it was in these first two points, but no, this is building upon What does it mean that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets? Now, there's a lot of discussion here. Some commentators will say the apostles and prophets are just ones that the apostles, those who walked with Christ, those 12 apostles, that they were also prophets. Some will say, no, there's a distinction between those offices within the church. In fact, we'll see that later on in the book of Ephesians. That he gave the apostles and prophets. And that, and I think there is a distinction there. We're not talking about Old Testament prophets here. We're talking about New Testament. But there's a distinction in those offices. But regardless, the point is the same. That it is not these individuals that are foundational. It is their teaching. It is what they taught. It is the apostles' doctrine that the early church devoted themselves to. And that's the foundation. that we're. It is the truths of God's word that teach us about Jesus. And that's what he's talking about here. Their teaching is foundational because their teaching is about Christ. All right? So we're built on that foundation. But then we are pointed to this cornerstone. That Christ himself is this cornerstone. And together, it says, again, together, we are being built on this foundation with Christ as the cornerstone. There is in our building right here outside the front door on the right, a cornerstone that's in that wall there. It isn't holding this building up, all right? No, it wasn't even put in there until the building had been built. But it's, it's a symbolic cornerstone. Architecture in, in Paul's day would have set that perfectly square cornerstone first. And that cornerstone is, is how you are certain that your walls have the proper angles. That they're plumb. Everything depended on that cornerstone being right. Because everything started at that point and went from there. And as Jason has read, as Jonathan has read, Jesus is that cornerstone. Isaiah 28, I lay in Zion a foundation, he says, a stone for a foundation. A tried and precious cornerstone. said the same thing in Psalm 118 that Jason read. And so we see this picture that he is the cornerstone of this spiritual structure that's being built. In him, where certain things are straight. In him, where certain things are plumb. In him, we have a foundational. We have a foundation that we've sung about. The solid rock, if you will. So Christ is that cornerstone. Everything rests upon him. And in that, this, this structure is being built. And so here's where it gets kind of... Paul, why are you mixing your metaphors? Why, why are you saying that this building that's being fitted together grows? Wait a minute. But that's what Paul does. Notice he says that we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself, the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows Into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So here's this picture that we see of this spiritual structure being built. There's a foundation there. It's the teaching of God's Word. Given to us through faithful prophets. Through faithful apostles. Through those that God, by his Spirit, gave us his Word. And it's about Jesus. That's our foundation. And Jesus himself is, is where this structure is established and rooted, all right? So think about a tree and think about a building. I was thinking about that this week. I pulled some old pictures out of, out of a drawer in there in my office. Um, some of you, by the way, were in there from 25 years ago. If you want to see them, come and see me, all right? I'll, I'll, it was, I enjoyed that, okay? I enjoyed that. It was good to see those. But a lot of it was this building that we're in right now being built. Ground being cleared, batter boards being put up, lines being laid out, concrete being poured. This picture of J T and I standing there right here where the Bible was there's a copy of God's word buried right here underneath where I stand. I mean that was that was important to us to to communicate that, at least, at least for us as a church. And you might not have known that, but, but it's, it's down there in the gravel under the concrete right below where I stand. And then these pillars were put up next. It, it looked like this, I mean, every, every single one of these were set in place and joined at the top. And this structure of, of these support columns was here first. And then everything was built around it. So just just let your mind imagine that that's how Jesus is building this spiritual structure. Built upon the truths of His Word. And then these, this structure, these truths of this biblical... We've sung about some of these. Of, of the character of God, the character of Jesus, the reality and, and work of the person of the Holy Spirit. Who we are as sinners that are brought back into... To a reconciled relationship with Him through faith. That's the gospel. Each one of those doctrinal truths, we could, we could go there if we wanted to. But I'm not, that's not the purpose of what I'm doing here. What I'm doing here is just helping us see this supernatural spiritual structure that is being built that, that we call the church. And it says that that whole structure is joined and, and put together into a holy temple. Do you see that? We were dead. And now we're God's dwelling place. I'm going to say it again and somebody ought to amen. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And now we are God's dwelling place. It's, it's, it's astounding to see that. In Him the whole building is joined together. The King James Version says this. Fitly framed together. Groweth into, unto an holy temple in the Lord. That I fitly. Framed together. I just, I just get this picture of the work of a craftsman carpenter. Joints tight. Everything just the way it ought to be. And we are perfectly fit together in Christ when we had absolutely nothing in common. Except being dead. Being dead. And Jews and Gentiles And Americans and Afghans, Chileans and Colombians, Chinese and Taiwanese, all these differences that may come because of our ethnicity, all these differences that may come because of our race, all of these differences that may come because of these man made, and those are not man made, those are gifts. That I just mentioned, but I'm just talking about these man-made divisions that we had. All of these things in him, this whole body is joined together. We're going to see later on in Ephesians 4 and it's held together and it's held together by every part doing its work. We'll see in Ephesians 4. So here's what's happening here. These, these mixed metaphors that Paul uses do sound, do sound strange. We are a temple being built. A spiritual dwelling place. We are a building being put together. Peter, as Jason read, tells us we are being put together into this spiritual structure as living stones. All right? Being brought together. So we have we have this structural integrity there. But there is also this gospel unity. Remember last week we, we talked about, I'm not talking about diversity for diversity's sake. I'm talking about diverse people, yes, being unified in Christ. And there's this, this beautiful picture of unity being built together. It's a present tense, okay? And then there's this organic vitality, structural integrity, gospel unity, and an organic vitality where we are rooted in Christ and growing. This building's breathing right now, right? Some of you HVAC techs know that. Fresh air comes in. Used air gets out somehow. I mean, buildings breathe. Buildings settle. Buildings move. Some of these things are true for a physical structure. But even so, amazingly organic is this dwelling that's growing and building together. And the key word there is together. Just as reconciliation is received individually, but experienced and lived out together, so too is this growth. You come to faith in Christ as an individual. You will never grow up in Christ by yourself. Ever. It's a spiritual impossibility. Now, yes, it is biblically possible that you'll die and go to heaven without never being a part of a church, i.e., the thief on the cross. But the pattern is that we are made together, we are, we are brought to Christ individually. And then together we are joined together. We're joined together as a flock under His care. We're joined together as a building built upon Him. We're joined together as a body, we'll see later on in Ephesians, with Him as our head and us intricately, functionally related and working together. We'll see later on that we are His cherished, beloved bride. I mean, all of these pictures that it gives us here, Underneath all of them is the foundation of God's Word built upon Christ. And Jesus is the agent, okay? He is the means by which all of this is done through His Spirit. Through our connection with Christ, together in the Holy Spirit, we are growing into this, this structure, this spiritual structure that is amazingly God's dwelling place. It started in Genesis. Genesis. God breathed life into us because He wanted us to walk with Him and love Him. And so they walked together with God in the garden. And even after Genesis 3, God is working the work of reconciliation. And that's pictured in the Old Testament. As He gives them the gift of this meeting place. You'll see that in Sunday school. The gift of this meeting place where God and His people can come together, but only... Only, only comes so far There's a place of separation. I'm holy. You're not. But then in Christ, he bridges that gap between his holiness by tearing down that wall of hostility. Putting our sin on Christ. Putting his righteousness on us. And drawing us in as his blood-bought adopted children. And he brings us into that amazing relationship and brings us together in this amazing thing called the church. And, and there, what started in the garden and it's pictured in the tabernacle and in the temple. Well, we saw it, right? And I saw a new heaven and a new earth coming down out of heaven, adorned, as it said, in this beautiful array of a bride for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. The dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them. And He will be their God. And they will be His people. That's where it's going. Alright? It started in Genesis. It'll end there in that picture of God and man together again. But until then, look around church. This is what we've got. And I love it. And I hope you do too. I hope you understand that these houses we build, they will crumble and fall. I was looking this week. I was going to open the sermon with an illustration of the most beautiful buildings in the world. You know what I found out? It's in the eyes of the beholder. Right? I mean, this is, this is unfathomable to me. But in one website, the most beautiful building in the world is this picture of, of this beautiful cathedral and then the Washington Monument. Now, don't get me wrong. I love my country. But that straight-up Washington monument doesn't hold a candle to that cathedral. The whole I mean, yeah, it's beautiful, but it's beautiful in its own way, right? I mean, I might say that about you, all right? You, you might say that about me. It's in the eyes of the beholder, right? So I, I thought, no, that's not a good place to go because you might think, The White House is beautiful. Well, yeah, it is. But it's not beautiful compared to the Sistine Chapel, in my opinion. So, these beautiful buildings. But what God wants us here to see through this Word is the beauty of the church. There's discussion about whether or not when He says we are being built up into a spiritual dwelling place. Is He building one big spiritual dwelling place? You know, like in my father's house... Are, are, are many rooms? Is it many rooms in one mansion or is it many mansions making up this huge structure? And there's that discussion here. Is he building us up into a bunch of local little, you know, local spiritual structures? Well, yes. Is he building us into one beautiful spiritual structure? Yes. It's, it's both of those. And we're to love it. And, and, and we're to love it and, and cherish it. And to see that apart from our life together in Christ, we will never know the true depth of the reconciliation that we have in Jesus. And we'll never know really what it means to be unified together in Christ. And we'll really never know what it is to have the gift of the Holy Spirit and those different dimensions of that gift that He gives us so we can serve and love together. Oh, it's a It's a beautiful picture. How can we take some applications from this? First... Access, a way has been opened for us to come to God. You may be here this morning and you're still looking for your identity. You might be a teenager. You might be 65 years old and still not know who you are. Oh, yeah, you can look in the mirror and see a face. But in your heart of hearts, you're just not sure who you are. Well, the good news is that God created you with that desire to know that sense of identity. To know really who you are. And, and you'll never find it apart from a relationship with the God who created you, gave His Son to reconcile you to Himself and redeem you. You'll never know who you were created to be apart from Jesus. And I invite you to come to Him today. I invite you to come and turn from your sin and trust in Jesus and begin to let Him build your life upon the foundation of who He is, the truth of His Word, the love and fellowship that you find in Christ among God's people. Unbeliever, I invite you to come to Him today. As a church member, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, the writer of Hebrews tells us, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that's been opened to us, that is, He says, through His flesh, let us draw near. Draw near. Draw near. Every day. In some way. Take advantage of that access that we have. And I don't mean just in your quiet time, but it has to start there. It has to start in your personal quiet time. Your personal time with Jesus. That access has been blood-bought for you. Come in. Come in. Secondly, in Christ, we have been welcomed and loved And we are called to be that kind of a people. We are called to be that kind of a people. Jason, we looked at it last week out of 2 Corinthians 5, the ministry of reconciliation. Because God in Christ has reconciled us to himself, he's given us that ministry of reconciliation. Ultimately, that ministry of reconciliation is to be able to speak the gospel into other people's lives and invite them to come to Christ. But we cannot do that if we don't in some way begin to build relationships Begin to demonstrate the love of Christ to them in a very real, flesh-on kind of way. And to, and, and to demonstrate that love to them. And, and begin to gain some kind of ear and acceptance to give credibility to what we would say. It's going to be really hard for us to come up to somebody and say, you know, Jesus loves you if we're being jerks. We can't do that. That doesn't give a platform to that gospel message. And so I just want to encourage us to kind of follow up on last week that we are ministers of reconciliation. And that reconciliation ministry that we've been called to goes beyond all of those barriers and colors and structures that the world would put up around us. Ethnicity, race, demographics, all of those things. Yes, I know these things are hard. Praise God. The power that raised Jesus from the grave is ours to do it. Right. That's what he gives us here. And so just to have that heart of reconciliation, that heart that seeks. And listen, here's what God told his people in the Old Testament, even under the Old Covenant. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so even as we have an opportunity, church, this is such a gospel moment. This is such an amazing moment that God is bringing the nations here to us. Our opportunity to maybe love and serve refugee families from Afghanistan. Praise God for that opportunity. Be a part of it, church. Please be a part of it. It's such a beautiful picture of everything that we see in the book of Ephesians. And God's brought it to our doorstep. Let me just encourage you to pray and be a part of that. And then finally one last thing. In and through the church together together we see it over and over the text ends this way. In whom the whole structure is joined together and then in verse 22 we are being built together. So the church is this spiritual structure. We are brought in as citizens, we're brought in as family, we're brought in as living stones into this. We're going to see later on, we're brought in as sheep, we're brought in as a part of the bride. And and growth is only through the church and involvement in it, is not optional. It's not optional. Alright? It's, it's a gift. It's a gift. And that's not put before us as some prescribed law that if we, you know, we're not under the law in that sense. We are under grace. And God has been so gracious to give us the body of Christ, to give us brothers and sisters in Christ, to give us a citizenship in a kingdom that will never perish. The thing that was in common with all those beautiful buildings is that one day they'll be gone. One day they will be gone. But not so the church. Not so His bride. Not so His beloved. Praise God for that. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank You today that You are building Your church. We thank You today, Lord, that You are faithful to love And care for us. And we thank You, Lord, that You have given us Your Spirit. So that we may love You and love those things that You love in that same way. Grow that love in us, I pray. Father, thank You that we are no longer strangers and aliens. But we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Being built up into this spiritual structure upon the foundation of Your truth. And of you, Lord Jesus, thank you for that. May we live in the light of that reality and be at work in light of that. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.